Well, good evening, my friends. I'm so grateful to be together and to to share together tonight in this word that the Lord will give. We will be in Amos chapter 5. If you're in the church's Bible, that will be on page 1060. Amos chapter 5. If you've been able to read in in Amos 5 this week, you may have recognized what is probably one of the the only popular or well-known verses from Amos' whole book. Verse 24 reads, But let justice run down like water, and righteousness like a mighty stream. This is a beautiful verse. It's a poetic verse. It's... um, It's a good coffee mug verse, except for that it isn't. It is famously used by the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. In his I Have a Dream speech, long before he comes to the phrase, I have a dream, he responds to a question. In fact, he cites a question from many of his opponents, and it is one of the main reasons that he gives his I Have a Dream speech. I'll quote him, and he says, There are those who are asking the devotees of civil rights, when will you be satisfied? To this question, when will they be satisfied, he responds with a series of explanations. He says, we can never be satisfied as long as we are the victim of the unspeakable horrors of police brutality. We can never be satisfied as long as our bodies, heavy with fatigue of travel, cannot gain lodging in the motels and highways and hotels of the cities. We cannot be satisfied as long as our basic mobility is from a smaller ghetto to a larger one. We cannot be satisfied as long as our children are stripped of their selfhood and robbed of their dignity by signs stating, for whites only. We cannot be satisfied as long as we vote, as long as we cannot vote in Mississippi and those in New York have nothing for which to vote. And finally, he says, no, no, we are not satisfied. And we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. From this point forward, Martin Luther King Jr. begins his poignant remarks in which he dreams of an American nation that has been delivered from the bondage of racism. Now, I begin with this understanding tonight because I think that Martin Luther King Jr. and his understanding and application of Amos' words is a powerful context for us. When will you be satisfied? He responded with a series of systematic evils building to a spiritual answer. And while our country has made great strides towards civil rights and race relations, 
we have not been liberated from the bondage of racism. Likewise, I believe that deep down in the hearts of the Israelites lie this question to the Lord. When will you be satisfied? And Amos answers to them, describing their systemic evils and places before them a spiritual answer. I pray tonight that we would heed the word of the Lord, that as we hear these words of Amos, that the Lord would speak to us and show us where evil exists in our lives, show us where spirits have authority, and that we would seek the Lord that he be satisfied in us. Roger, if you would go to the the slide, please. So in a similar fashion to the first part of Amos 5, um, Amos has a second sermon. I'm calling Sermon B, verses 18 through 27. And it is what's called a chiastic or a chiasmus, which is that, that Amos has five different points, A, B, C, B, A. And so the, the, the A points are parallels to each other. The B points are parallels to each other. And the crux lies in point C, and Amos's call for repentance. And so as we talked about in, in the first in the first message in chapter 5, the reason for this great poetic device is to, to draw attention to the, the repeating of these great places, of the Lord's judgment in the points A and showing the religious hypocrisy in the points B and leading us to this call for repentance. And so tonight we'll look at these three different things that Amos wants us to see. The judgment upon the Israelites, illuminating their hypocrisy, and this great call to repentance. So as we go through these, I believe that that knowing that this is how Amos has organized his sermon will be helpful. So let's read together verses 18 through 27. Amos says, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. For what good is the day of the Lord to you? It will be darkness and not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or as though he went into the house, leaned his hand on the wall, and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light? Is it not very dark with no brightness in it? I hate, despise your feast days, and do not savor your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them, nor will I regard your fattened peace offerings. Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments. But let justice roll down like water, and righteousness like a mighty stream. Did you offer me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You also carried Sikath, your king, and Cheun, your idols, the star of your gods, which you made for yourselves. Therefore, I will send you into captivity.
beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. Now, of Amos's messages, I think this one is the pinnacle of harshness. But equally so, it is the mountain of God which offers deliverance and repentance for those who would heed it. Amos begins with these words of judgments like we see. He begins in verses 18 and 20 with judgment and he closes with judgment. We're to see that this is certain. There is no escaping God's judgments for those who are found guilty. In 18 he says, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord was a phrase that they would use, I believe, like we say, the Lord knows my heart. We would assert onto the Lord what we really want from him to believe in us. They considered the day of the Lord the day of triumph, the day when the Lord would meet their need, would come to their aid, would rescue and deliver them. And I believe that they were longing for the day of the Lord in any trouble that they would find. Because they believed themselves to be God's people, so certainly the Lord was coming to their rescue. But the Lord tells them, woe to you, meaning stop dead in your tracks, this day is not what you think it is. This day, as it continues, will not be good to you. It will be darkness and not light. This word for darkness is not just the absence of light. It is a day of gloom, a day of despair, a day of devastation. Amos goes on to describe this day. He says, it's like you will meet a lion and you will flee from it only to find a bear. If you escape that bear, then you might make it home where you think you are safe. And as you recline against the wall, as you rest in your own security of your own home, a serpent will bite you. This, this use of three is the fullness of God's exercise of judgment against them, as if to say, in no uncertain terms, can those who oppose God's holiness escape him. God's judgment will find them, and it will find us if we are outside his ways. Verse 20 says, Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light? It is not very, is it not very dark with no brightness? And he asks these as rhetorical, almost sarcastic questions that we know the answer to. But deep down, I think that we want to hope for something different than God's judgment. It's why I think when harm comes upon us, or harm comes and we see it, we think, maybe that's not really God. Maybe this is just an accident. Maybe God's salvation is just around the corner. We know better, though. And they knew better. Because they knew God's word and they knew God's promises and they, they knew what God had highlighted to us in the first part of 5. That in Deuteronomy, Moses says, seek life and not death. Seek blessings and not curses. Seek good and not evil. And there is no middle ground for there is God's blessing or his curse and judgment. To pair this, we go on to verse 27 at the conclusion of Amos' message. And in verse 27, he, he pairs with this judgment and he says, Therefore, I will send you into captivity beyond Damascus. 
therefore means that this is not an accident, but it is the because or the result of something, and it is the result of these things we've just read. Therefore, the Lord will send you into captivity beyond Damascus. Says the Lord, whose name is the Lord of hosts, Adonai Tsebaot. And so next, Amos is going to tell us even more fully why. In the second, the second part, the accusation of religious hypocrisy. That is a tough word for the Lord's people. Spiritual hypocrites. Amos is speaking on behalf of the Lord in verse 21, and he says, I hate, I despise your feast days, and I do not savor your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them, nor will I regard your fattened offerings. Amos sums up all forms of worship, all forms of praise, all fulfillment of commandments on how to, how to honor the Lord in his place of worship. And he says, the Lord, they mean nothing to him. He hates them. He doesn't savor them. Savor is, is the word that, that really means to be pleased by both, both the taste and the smell. They are not a pleasing aroma to them. And finally, it says that he does not accept them. The Lord says, take them away. He will not receive them. In verses 25 and 26, the, the second part where the Lord elaborates on their religious hypocrisy, hypocrisy Amos says do you offer me sacrifices excuse me did you offer me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness 40 years O house of Israel this rhetorical question of course they did the Lord taught them to make sacrifices and offerings to them The second part to that is that at the same time, he says in 26, you also carried Sikketh, your king, and Chion, your idols, the star of your gods. So as the Israelites were, were wandering in the wilderness, as they were making sacrifices and offerings to the Lord, at the same time they were still holding on to places of idolatry. It's why when they made the golden calf, it didn't, it didn't seem foreign to them because they were still holding on to these places, yet all the while acting as if they loved and honored the Lord with their sacrifices and offerings. Amos is saying, this is an exact picture of what is taking place now, that you are coming into my house in Bethel. You're coming into my house in these new made-up places of worship, and you're acting as if you love me yet you're holding fast to these other traditions, these other places of idolatry, and it doesn't work. They weren't worshiping him exclusively. Amos is explaining that Israel's sin nullifies their worship. So the Lord rejects Israel's false and self-absorbed worship and he tells them what to do. 
He says this in verses 23 and 24, Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments. I think sometimes that that when we, we know what repentance is, we know what the Lord's asking of us, we just kind of want to move on from it. We just want to maybe not do that anymore, but the Lord says to take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments. The Lord wants nothing to do with our version of worshiping him. That's the first part of repentance. We can't just stop what we're doing. We have to turn from what we're doing. We have to take what we're doing out of the presence of the Lord. And he tells us, (coughs) excuse me, he tells us what we are to do instead. He says, let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. It seems so simple to do this, right? This great verse that, that is full with, with symbol and picture, but I assure you this may be the most challenging thing that we can do. Amos's point is that the Lord is more concerned with justice and righteousness than worshipful acts. I wonder if we, we made a page of notes of all the things that we have done this week and this year and maybe our lifetime. And if they would fill lines of pages with what we consider worshipful acts. Listening to worship music and coming to church and reading our Bible and reading books to learn more about the Lord and, and talking with others about our journey with the Lord or sharing with others what we think about the Lord or all these places that we would kind of put in this box of worshipful acts that we assume are bringing honor and glory to the Lord. I wonder if he would be pleased with these things or if he would hate and despise these things. Our worshipful acts don't mean anything and they're a lie if our lives don't reflect them spiritually. See, these things are to be the follow-up in response to a changed life. So verse 24 is the climax of Amos' sermon. This word here in the first part, justice, sounds so great. What does justice even mean? The world has, has taken its, its own version and made what justice is, whether it's in, involved in our legal system or in our prison system, or what one is owe or due, or receiving or not receiving what they are entitled to. This is a legal term that the Lord uses. It is the Hebrew word mishpat. And mishpat is is a word that that simply means a verdict. It is translated usually one of two ways. In one context it means justice, and in the other it means judgment. But that is because these ideas are really the same in God's world. There can be no justice unless there is judgment. Judgment. 
Amos says the first part to honoring the Lord is to have judgment. That there would be a fulfillment of what is wrong in order to be made right. Let this justice and judgment run down like water. This isn't imagining a small stream of water from a water hose. This is imagining a raging river, a flood, if you will. Next, Amos says, and righteousness like a mighty stream. This word righteousness is the Hebrew word sadiq. It is a legal word as well, and it means righteous, blameless, or with integrity. It is the word that we use to describe who God is. God is righteousness, God is blameless, and God is wholeness or integrity. Some read this passage as if the two verses are telling the same thing. As if justice and righteousness are synonyms, but they are not. These words are in a partnership, but there is an order. So part A is that, that justice would run down like water. I imagine that God's judgment and God's justice is running down like water, like a waterfall, like a flood. And that is absolutely the picture in the flood. The flood brought judgment and justice. It killed off, it made smooth, it made straight, it made clean what was not clean, what was not smooth, what was rough, in order to make justice. And when that happens, then righteousness can flow forth like a mighty stream. See, righteousness is the part B. Righteousness is the result. We will be righteous and blameless when we have been judged and justified. These actions will flow forth with the same power that cleanses us in the first place. They will be ever flowing, not stagnant, but full of life. I'm certain that this is the picture that Jesus had, for, had in mind with baptism. Right, that as we are, that we are crucified with Christ, that we are made dead in the water, that we are cleansed, that we can be brought up in the newness of life, that we can be brought up to make righteousness. See, one cannot happen without the other. I believe the church has fallen into two, two camps, two camps that have abused the word of the Lord. There are those who love part A of this verse who want justice to roll down like water. They, they grab a hold of ideas like social justice, which I don't mean to negate overall. But some in social justice want to take on great campaigns to do good. They want to tell others what they're doing wrong. They want to embrace this idea of great change for change's sake. It sounds right. It sounds synonymous with the gospel of Jesus that would condemn the heresy of that day, that would condemn sin and the church. But see, it's misguided if it doesn't have the second part. At the same time, there are those who want the second part. They want righteousness like a mighty stream. They want to just do good works for good works' sake. 
They want to have work in the church and programs in the church and they want to feed the poor and they want to clothe the naked and they want to do all these things that sound right, that sound righteous. That's man-made righteousness. That's, that's self-seeking righteousness for man's sake. These two things cannot be separated. So the Lord rejects Israel's false and self-absorbed worship, and he tells them what to do. What to do isn't to go out and to be a good person. It's not to find people to help. It's not to do these things that seem good. It is to be transformed people. We can't confuse or mix ideas for righteousness with good Christian living because God doesn't care if we go to church. He doesn't care if we talk about the Lord to our friends. He doesn't care if we look for these opportunities to assert what seems like good Christian wisdom to others. God wants to cleanse us with justice. I have this image of us not just being baptized in a pool, but being drowned by the cleansing power of God's Spirit. And that same power to transform us, not just from people who have to act good or try to be better, but people who have truly been transformed. That righteousness flows forth not as stagnant water that has to continue to be stirred, but that is water that is springing up like new life. See, these pictures are all aggregate. Amos wasn't in a vacuum. John wasn't in a vacuum. I've been thinking this week about Martin Luther King, whose speeches is going to be 50 years old soon. Martin Luther King Day is the Monday after next. It has been 50 years since Amos, excuse me, since Martin Luther King Jr. has given this message. And in 50 years, our country has moved. Our country has made changes. It has made reforms and, and really remarkable things have taken place. He confronted a population filled with those who identified as followers of God. He asked, he was asked, when will it be enough? And I imagine Amos, much the same way, speaking to a population filled with those who identified as followers of Jesus, and I believe they were asking the same question of him, when will it be enough? I was, I was thinking about this today, as, as I might not say that I've asked this question of the Lord but the countless places the Lord reminded me almost immediately that I have in essence said, Lord, when is it going to be enough? When are you going to be done showing me this? When is, when is this going to be over and so I can get to where I really want to be? When is it going to be enough for you, these changes that are taking place in my life? 
And the Lord answered, when all is stripped away. When all the spirits that I've shown you, you have allowed me to wash away and cleanse and make smooth and destroy and kill. Our nation still suffers from this spirit of racism because they have worked to overturn these physical things that seem wrong. They have worked in some ways to make righteous moves, so to speak. But the spirit cannot cure the flesh. We cannot continue expecting any different from ourselves if we are not willing to be washed in the flood. I pray that we would hear these words of Amos and that justice would roll forth on us like water. That we might be raised in the newness of life and righteousness like a mighty stream. Amen.